do you agree that you know it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility even for our ancestors that did not know any better been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation <laughs> Well, it's Wake Up With KC. I'm Kimberly, and you know me. You never know who I get on my show. And I came across somebody that isn't been in the acting career or industry since childhood. And one of my fondest movies that I thought was hilarious back in the day was The Toy. And, you know, through times he's, he's entered into other avenues of acting, other films and whatnot. And I'm curious of, you know, what he's been doing, what he's learned. And please welcome Scott Schwartz to the show. Scott, thank you so much for being here. It's a honor. Thank you. Thank you. You prefer Kimberly or Casey? What do you prefer? Uh, Kimberly, but it's wake up with Casey because my initials, not, you know, because I'm a big, huge, you know, fan of Casey and the Sunshine Band, but yeah, those are my initials, so I work but, it. <laughs> I, I'd rather call you Kimberly. Casey was my ex-wife, so we'll just leave it at that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I had the name first. <laughs> but you know what? I admired you. Like when you, When I first saw you, you played one of the lead characters as I, the name just like went out the window. The little brat... Eric Bates. Yeah. <laughs> With Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. How, what was that like to work with those, with them? It, it had to been a ball or was it like. Listen, I'm doing the toy with them. Uh, they made it easy. You know, Richard Donner, the director, God rest his soul. He just passed. Uh, they all made it easy for me. And I had a pretty good background as far as film education wise, not producing film, but watching films from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s and so forth. So I knew who they were. I had a great background in it and a good sense of humor helped with them. So there was a lot of joking and commiserating and it, we weren't making, you know, Citizen Kane. We were making a fun movie so you know when, when you're doing a comedy uh the set is normally much lighter uh, attitude wise and and humorous wise than making a drama so it was great i i bet and you know during you know those times and since we speak of the 20s and 30s you know there's you know, the one person that comes to mind in those times is Shirley Temple. And then she came out with, you know, some things that weren't so good about the industry of how they, you know, took advantage of the, you know, kids and sort of. But it's a much different time. The studios ran everything. So she was under a studio contract oh, and you yeah. did what the studio told you to do. And while it was certainly not uh what's the word i really want to use nice and kind toward child actors because they grinded you 
it was you're going to go to obedience school, you're going to go to the teacup school, you're going to go to the singing lessons and the dancing lessons and the tap dance. And I mean, they worked the hell out of you, but they took care of them, you know, from from the financial living standpoint, you know, uh, we didn't have television. So there's no residuals. There's none of that. You got paid what you got paid. And that was it. Um, but, you know, uh, kids are kids. And there are kids you can push. There are kids you can't push. You know, there are kids with limitless energy and limitless whatever. And that was that was really me as far as I goes. Uh, but there are kids that they don't get it. They don't understand. They're not hip to what goes on in show business. And so it's like, you know, after 20 minutes or an hour, they want to get out of there already. You know, and that's just not how it works. The attention span is. <laughs> of course. Now listen, I mean, you had, uh, there's no laws back then. Jackie Coogan, you know, who's in, you know, uh, the kid with Charlie Chaplin. You know, he was a monster star, made millions of dollars. Now you think of that, you know, him and, and Shirley in the 30s and, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. Because she's more 30s, 40s. He's more late teens, early 20s and on up. Uh, they made millions of dollars back then. How much is that today? You oh, know? my God. I mean, that's tens of millions and tens of millions. And because there were no laws, their parents spent the money. That's just what happened. There's no laws against anything, you know. So, I mean, Jackie's family spent his money. Shirley Temple's family spent most of her money. Um, and it leads to later on, much later on, uh, the Coogan law, which is what it's called. And it's for protection of child actors money to go into an account, a certain percentage of it, you know, for their future, you know, and they have, they have some laws that they have now with parents, but it's not really extensive enough at the same time. You know, uh, I think they put 20% away for the kids at this point from, from their income. Uh, personally, I think it should be a little bit more than that but I understand how the game works and I understand where things go, how expenses are done. You know, somebody, you know, there's a child actor, a former child actor, and he made, you know, $1.4 million in his career as a kid and all this stuff. And he accuses parents of stealing his money. And I actually got a chance to sit down with him. And I said, okay, I got a pad. I got a legal size pad. And I said, let's break this down. Okay, so you started at three, so you go to 17. Okay, fine, that's 14 years. And we started breaking everything down. And he's like, well, I made this much. I said, no, you didn't. Don't, don't tell me what you grossed, because that's ridiculous. Yeah. I said, you have an uncle. You have an uncle that you have to pay. His name is Uncle Sam. So the first thing is the federal that comes right off the top. And then you have a cousin. It's called the state of California. You got to pay him too, Okay. And then you start breaking it all down to wardrobe. When I say wardrobe, I mean the clothes that kids get. Now, you're in show business, so you're not going to Target and getting a pair of jeans. Oh, no, no. You have to have it specially made for you. Well, the Target of jeans is $40. The specially made outfit you just got was $1,200. There's a difference. You know, so I, I, I broke it all down with this kid. And at the end of the day, it came to like $2,000 or $4,000 a year of unexplained where the money went. And I showed him the list and I said, you know, what's funny. 
you haven't eaten one meal yet. How much is food? We went into the gas, cars. I mean, you got to pay somebody to take you around or be an escort, a chaperone, whatever it is. Everything costs money. So I said, at the end of the day, you, your parents didn't, your, your father didn't do anything. Your parents didn't do anything, dude. It's just gone. You pissed it away. That's what you did. You know, that's, there you go. Well, he didn't, he didn't want to hear that explanation, but I really didn't care. I, I proved the point, you know. That unless you really know where things go, you don't. And 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 oh this and oh that. Listen, uh, um, God rest his soul, Gary Coleman's parents. We know they took plenty of money. You know, uh, it's a different mentality. It's a different lifestyle. It's different everything. You know, when your mom and pop and mom works in a shop and dad works wherever dad works, and their combined salary is less than one week's salary that you make as a child star their whole year. And you make more than that in a week. Well, what is the purpose of mom working that job? Let her be with child, of course. Let her be with her with her kid. But of course, she's got to get paid. It's not free just because mom is there. Well, mom's not working. Okay, well, mom made $20,000, $25,000 a year doing whatever. And I'm saying this is from, you know, semi-years ago, whatever. If the kid's making $125,000 a week, mom's getting paid $10,000 a week, you know, because they can then have a little better food. They may even buy a little better home, you know, but it's still the child's money at the end of the day. It just depends on where it goes. You know, there have been parents, you only hear the bad stuff. You know, you don't hear about the Ralph Macchios and the Scott Bayos who had really good parents. And they worked and they said, okay, you know, the dad is a specialist in real estate. So we're going to take your money and we're going to put you in real estate. Every two weeks of your show, we're going to buy you a house and another house and another house and another house. You're never going to live there, but their property, it's investments. So by the time you hit 25, 30 and you have 20, 30 homes, how much money do you have? You're good. Done deal. Retire. You do whatever you want at that point. You know, they're, they're both of their parents were very smart. You know, there were other parents as well, of course, you know. Um, but I mean, show businesses, you know, it, it's a, it's a, uh, an, a really like an all or nothing. It's the brass ring or starvation. You know, that's really there's very few that can kind of float on just a few jobs and make, you know, minimal income, you know, uh, the payment for shows have changed, you know, guest starring roles, the payments for commercials have changed on what they pay uh, throughout the years. So it's, it's a whole lot of stuff that, you know, you learn over the course of decades of being in the industry of what the hell is really going on. Yeah. It's through trial and error. And how would you know the difference unless you experience it yourself? And a lot of times you got to go through things in order to gain the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding. Oh, so this is how it works. I mean, the studios, even though it's not the studios anymore like it used to be, you know, there's no Louis B. Mayer and MGM. There's no Jack Warner at Warner Brothers. Um, it's all corporate. They want to do what they want to do. And if, if they can, in their own ways, take advantage a little bit to help their cause, they're going to do it. So it's not like they educate parents or kids. You know, I was the president of a minor consideration. 
It's for child labor laws. You can go to a minorconsideration.org. You can read about it. Uh, Paul Peterson from the Donna Reed show started it, you know, and they have doctors on staff. They have lawyers that help, you know, old child stars or new old future, whatever it is. Um, but the studios don't really want that organization to come to a TV set and tell parents, this is what they can do. Excuse me. This is what they can do. This is what they can't do, you know, and there's different, uh, 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 monetary things that they do. Okay. Like they'll say, okay, um, you're going, uh, uh, to a premiere for whatever it is, but you don't get paid for that, but you have to go. So it's your time. Okay. You're doing a TV series. You have to do promo. Well, the way the, the labor laws are set up, promotional stuff is not covered under a minor's working day. So let's say Kim, you're 12 and you're on a series. And you work your eight, nine hours, whatever they say, you know, we got to have an hour for lunch and schooling and all this. Okay, fine. And you're going to be off the set at four o'clock. Well, at five o'clock, you have to be on XYZ podcast. Or at six o'clock, you have to be on this. And at seven o'clock, you have to. Not only is it an extension of your day as a child, be working, so to speak, you don't get compensated for it. It just comes with the job. You know? So there's, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that, that they work into it, you know, uh, you know, we, we shot a Christmas story up in Canada. Well, mm -hmm. not a Canadian citizen. And at the time they only allowed three actors from screen actors guild to have screen actors guild contracts in Canada. Otherwise you had to be under an actra contract, which was their uh, union up in Canada. They don't tell you anything, nothing, nothing. And the first thing that happens when you get a, when you get a residual check, um, what is this 23% uh, non-residential tax? Oh, you're not a resident of the state of Canada. What is this? What is this 8% GST tax? Oh, that's our uh, regular Providence. Uh, okay, fine. Oh, what's this 3% check charge? Well, we, we charge 3% of your check, and that's what we take for the fee for writing the check. I said, so my check is, let's just say, $3,000. So $90 for you to print out a check, that, that's what it costs. Wow. So there are a lot of things that nobody tells you in advance that you find out later. But the more things get out, the more people kind of find out beforehand. Wow. So you've become like an advocate in a way from – Learning to help other younger. Yes. I mean, I have definitely uh, extended a hand of help to people who have asked me for it. You know, I mean, being uh, the president of a minor consideration was not my choice. Uh, Paul Peterson, who ran a minor consideration, there were like 30 people he was looking at. And uh, I'm, I'm an East Coast kind of guy. I grew up on the East Coast. So, you know. You'll excuse my French. I don't give no shit and I don't take no shit. And he liked the fact that I just kind of said it the way that it was. I didn't sugarcoat it, you know, and it was kind of like we did. There was like a little get get together and then there was another get together with less people. It was kind of like the audition process. You know, you start out at 30 and you go down to three, you know, whatever. And uh, 
finally, uh, you know, he said, hey, you know, can we have lunch? And I said, sure. So we went, we had lunch. And he's like, I, I want you to be the president of my consideration. And I went, okay. And I didn't know that that's really what these things, I just thought we were just hanging out with the gang, you know, because it's all, you know, a lot of the old child stars, whether they were acted in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, didn't matter. Um, so I took a little bit of time and then he and I did a, a, a radio show together. And that kind of that kind of cinched it for me because I could tell that he wanted somebody to take the reins, be able to speak, not kiss anybody's ass. And if somebody was an idiot, I would tell them they were an idiot, you know, as opposed to, you know, not. So that's just what I ended up doing. And now it's like, you know, if people reach out to me, no problem, you know. Oh, wow. I'd love to. I'm going to put the, the link uh, to that organization on the description. So if someone's interested in, and wants to know more, they oh, have I mean, access to that. Yeah. And it's a 501c3 charity. It's tax deductible, you know, and I mean, they always need money because they help. They do the things that people don't want to know. You know, if, if a kid's having a problem, I say a kid, anybody from seven to 60, whatever it is, um, whether it's a legal issue, you know, it could be a DUI, it could be a bankruptcy, it could be anything. Uh, they have doctors, psychologists, you know, people going through tough times, especially with what's going on right now. They have people, you know, that they just call, hey, you got to call this person, you know, and see him and whatever. And there's no charge to the the individual, you know, the organization pays for it. You know, and some get, and I, there's like one or two that uh, they don't actually charge. They just do it pro bono and no problem, whatever. You know, well, I, I'm, I'm like happy to hear that, that there, especially for, you know, kids, I wish there was one for you when you were, you know, and other young actors, I wish there was something, but I guess it takes some events to take place in order for something else to open up for it to be better. Yeah. I mean, I was extremely lucky. And I say that when I knock on whatever, uh, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, so I was a new, one of the New York kids. And I didn't go to California until after high school. So I was past the point of uh, being influenced of things to do and things not to do. I kind of already knew what I liked to do and I knew what I didn't want to do, you know. So I wasn't in the Hollywood scene as a young teenager. You know, I came out until I was, you know, almost 19. You know, so uh, it, it was a big difference for me. And the people I worked with were great. You know, I I, I grew up, uh, I, I know one of the questions you want to ask was how was I got into acting? This kind of leads into this this, this thing. Uh, I was going to a film club with my dad where they, where they watched old movies. I started going, I was about five and a half, almost six. There were no other kids there because that's not really a kid's thing to sit down and watch a B-Western, watch Gene Autry, Roy Rogers. Mm -hmm. uh, or watch the old serials from the 40s, Daredevils of the Red Circle, The Spider, uh, Superman, uh, Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe, those things. Black and white. That wasn't a kid's thing in the 70s. But Dad did it, so I did it every Saturday. Well, I grew up around adults, you know. And one of the, uh, the other members of the club was producing a commercial and came over to me and said, listen, I've known you for a while. You're very outgoing. I think you'd be great at this. So you want to do a commercial. You who chocolate drink, you know, it's three days in Miami beach, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I was like, okay. 
And my dad's like, you want to do it? We do it. You don't, you know, whatever. It's up to you. Okay, let's go. So we went and I was always very outgoing anyway um, and had fun, you know, great couple of days. And on the flight back, the guy was with us and he's like, uh, you want to keep going? I got a friend who's a casting director. She can introduce you to agents. This is how it goes. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, I always drove my own bus, so to speak, even though I was a young kid, as long as I was cool and said, let's go. Dad's like, okay, fine. That's what we did. Wow. And besides acting, I mean, you know, what else have you done besides acting? I've worked for production companies. I, I was free. I call it free help. I was not an employee. So I was free help for the WWF back in the eighties. So I worked with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Roddy Piper and Miss Elizabeth and Jesse Ventura and Bret Hart and all those guys. They were all friends of mine, you know, so uh, big John stud. I drove Andre the giant one time, you know, okay. I mean, I did that. Then I went into other things that, you know, was a kind of an offshoot of Hollywood, you know, entertainment, so to speak. Um, did that for years. Uh, my dad had a memorabilia shop for years and I worked with him, you know, which I haven't done now in a long time. Um, but I mean, I produced a couple little, you know, little independent things that weren't very much, you know, uh, but you know, and I still, I still act. I just did a thing three weeks ago, you know, for another independent film. You just stay busy. You know, the more things you know how to do is the more jobs you can get. You know, if you tell somebody I can type and answer a phone, well, you can type and answer a phone. That, that's pretty much what you do. You know, when you can tell somebody, what do you need me to do? You need me to hold the camera. You need me to set up lights. Do you need me to help with the sound boom? You need me to help produce. You need me to call talent. You need call sheets. Tell me what you need. I can do any of it. You can get a lot more jobs that way. I agree. Cause being in, you know, I've had some other people on as a guest and even through my own education, always updating my skills and the editing and producing and, you know, digital, now it's the digital content and, you know, social media and whatnot. You have to stay on, on top of it and, and do all aspects of it. So Kim, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm just old school. I, I, I do Facebook. I don't know how to do a, an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't know how to do Photoshop. You know, I, I, I used to do eBay. I could do my email. I can do Facebook. A little bit of Instagram once in a blue moon. It's just not my thing, you know, and I don't say you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I'm 53 years old. I don't really want to learn this shit. It's just not my bag. You know, I, you know, I grew up, I, I grew up in a house that we loved old stuff. It's just kind of how it is. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, growing up from, from five to 12, you're in the air five to whatever, you know, 15, you're in the car with dad or mom, whatever. And what are you listening to? Well, all my friends were listening to whatever Judas Priest and, and Bon Jovi. Oh, I listened to Bon Jovi when I was a teenager. Um, but uh, uh, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, that kind of stuff. Well, I sat in the car and my father's listening to Jolson, Bing Crosby, Neil Diamond, Barbra Streisand, Barry Manilow. That's what I love. Al Jolson. I still love it. Elvis, of course, you know. Oh, yeah. Sinatra. Yeah. Nat King Cole. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the stuff that I love. You know, it's like new music to me. No. Yeah, I, actually, there's 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 one story. You, you, it's it's hysterical. Oh, come on, share. Mm, mm. I had a good drink. Hold on. 
This was this was I can tell you that I can tell you when it was. This was like 2003. I was still married, okay? And I was at Zach Ward's house. Zach played the bully Scott Farkas in a Christmas story. Red hair, yellow eyes. Okay. So we're ha he's having a barbecue at his house. There's a whole bunch of people there, you know whatever. Um uh, uh Mooney, Ben Moody was there from Evanescence. I never heard one of his songs, but I heard the name Evanescence. Okay, fine. And uh, my wife and I were walking around, and she kind of was talking to somebody. And this this little blonde-haired girl, she was maybe an inch or so shorter than me. We started chit-chatting. And we did whatever. And she's like, well, how do you know Zach? And I said, oh, I did a movie with him. Oh, that's great. Da -da -da. I said, oh, he knows my friend Ben, you know, and I'm a singer. And all. and I'm like, that's wonderful. Good luck. I, I, I wish you well. Okay, great. And we talked for a few more minutes, and she walked away. My ex-wife comes by, and she smacks me in the back of the head. She goes, you are a moron. What I do? She said, the girl you were talking to, I said, yeah. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, she's a singer. I, I wished her well. That's great. It's Avril Lavigne. She sold six million albums last year. You are an idiot. <laughs> Didn't know her. Not my bag. <laughs> Not my bag. Not my thing. You know? Right. Now, are there some am I going to know, you know, a Carrie Underwood or Kelly Clarkson or somebody? Yeah, okay, you know, because I've seen them on TV on different things. And okay, whatever, I'd catch something. But otherwise, forget it. I know, okay. I, I feel the same way, but running a one-man show, I got to be the one. Oh, you got to do your thing. Yeah, I got to do it, no matter if I like it or not, until I can... Like work it out to where I could hire and pay somebody to do that kind of stuff because it's not it, it isn't it really isn't my thing, but I gotta do it to get to gain my audience and put you know my guests promoting them. I get it. I'm I'm not <laughs> saying you shouldn't. You know, if 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 I'm in the position at some point where you are doing a show and stuff, well, then you've kind of got to get to know these things. You like you said, you don't necessarily have to like them, and of course, you know. Uh, my uh, outlook on life is going to be much different than theirs. So my questions are going to be much different. I'm not, I've done in, I've done interview type shows before, you know, we've, mm -hmm. I've shot a couple pilots and I've always come up with the questions that people either want to ask or would never ask because they don't even think of it. You know, mm -hmm. like I go to my high school reunions. I mean, I understand I was in the movies. Okay, fine. But I still got kids I went to high school with that are friends of mine. You know, so it's like, you know, asking other celebrities, you go to high school reunion and they all go, no. Oh, no. I go, why not? Well, those people. What are you talking about? Those people. Those where the hell do you think you, where did you think you came from? You're going to tell me that you don't have a friend, Brian, Jack, Joe, Andy, Kevin, whatever. Jerry, whoever. You can tell me you don't have one friend from high school? Nobody? Really? I'm not going to believe it. Everybody has a friend from high school. Go. They're like, well, you know, this. You know, they make assumptions because they're famous. You know, this assumption of, well, and I go, just go. Have a good time. Enjoy talking to people. Yes, most of them are going to ask you some stupid questions because they have no idea really what it's like to be in your shoes. But so what? You know, those people that that you know, you may see a teacher that you went to school with, or you may see something that you go, oh my God, I love her. You know, go. 
that you never hear that on any talk show. That never happened because they would never want to know the answer. You know, they, that's not their thing. Well, hey, since you you're talking about high school, we're like the same age. Okay. Just a a few several months a little older than me. <laughs> I, was born, I was born on Mother's Day. Ah, September. I got five, five months on you. So let me ask you then, since you, you brought up school and whatnot, who was the most inspirational teacher in, in high school? Wow. I didn't really have an inspirational teacher. I had teachers that I absolutely loved. Okay. Um, so my, my English teacher, God rest his soul, George Covey. You wouldn't know who he is, but he was my teacher. Um, but like I, my biology teacher, my, my geometry teacher and the biology teacher, um, his, his name is Tim. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Now I'm going to – I can't believe it. And I just sent him a text a couple days ago because he's retiring after all these years. Oh, my God. Because I just talked to two Tims today. That's why I know it's just out of my head. Robbins, thank you. Tim Robbins. He's <laughs> – his first year of teaching was my freshman year in high school. And we really had a fun class. We really did. Fun year. And then I went to school for two years in New York at professional children's school. My sophomore and junior years, it's a whole thing of why the working, how many days you can miss, all that stuff. But then I came back and I had him my senior year again. And, uh, and we're friends. I mean, we still talk. If I go back to New Jersey... I say, hey, what's going on? You know, and if, he, if I know he's, he was in class, I'd send him a text and say, hey, make sure you put a pass for me at 10 o'clock. I'll see you, whatever. Okay. And we sit, we chit chat. Love this man to death. I mean, he was just always a good man, a fun teacher. Uh, we had our, oh, 30th? I got to think. Yeah, 30th, 30th high school reunion. And I went to... It was, it was on a, uh, a Saturday and Friday I went to see him at our high school and I said, listen, we love you. The, 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 the gang in our, in our class loves you. Come to the reunion tomorrow night. And he's like, I've never been, I've never gone to one of the reunions. I just never did it. Come on. So I had two of the other kids that he knew and whatever, send a text message. You got to come. So finally, he sent me a text message the afternoon of, of the uh, reunion. He was coming and he showed up and had the time of his life. He's like, I didn't think any of these people really gave a shit. I didn't think anybody cared about him. And then when he got the love and the tears and the kisses and the hugs from these 48 year old people, then he realized it's kind of like a, a Holland, Mr. Holland's Opus kind of a thing where you realize you actually do mean something to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I love him. I love the man to death. You know, just he's just a wonderful man. He's like he was my guy, you know, and then I had a typing teacher who was really cool, too. He's gone. But um, but there was no like somebody to give me the inspiration to be the better actor or anything like that. I, I, I never took acting classes, so I never had that. Well, I mean, the one like, well, to me, that teacher seems like inspirational because you enjoyed going to class. Oh, yeah. This teacher was different than all the other ones. So in a way, it's a little inspirational, just the way, you know, you perceived what's inspirational. But um, that's 
thank you for sharing because now I've hopefully there's someone listening or watching that like, yeah, who was my teacher that I really liked? <laughs> and by the way, I got my 35th class reunion coming up. Have you gotten no notice about yours? No. We'll end up at some either a rib joint or an Italian restaurant or they won't do it at all. It's like whatever, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, I go back. I try, I try and go back at least three, four times a year. Uh, so I see a lot, most of the people I want to see. Sometimes you can't because of scheduling or whatever. And of course, the past year with COVID and whatever, and you couldn't see everybody. Oh, this one has got to be careful and all that. Okay. Um, with the with the invention of Facebook and and the internet, you know, you can most of the people you want to stay in contact with will stay in contact with you. Right. Well. Can you share um, what it is like for other, you know, young actors or mm -hmm. anyone that has a passion for acting and whatnot, you know, based on what you've learned, what you've experienced, can you give some like, I guess, inside tips on to help them get a, a good head start on, you know, pursuing a passion if they have, love it? I mean, I always started, I, I have I've, I, sort of people have kind of asked me the question in different ways. The beginning of it sounds horrible, but it is what it is. Get an education. You know, school is very important. Math, science, social studies. These are important things to base your brain of not and, and gain knowledge, you know, read, be inquisitive, all those things. Show business for the most part when you're a child actor is luck. That's really what it is. You have to be a particular size, the particular hair, the right eyes, the right smile, whatever it is. So it's, it's a, a job that while again, getting the brass ring is great. 99.6% or 5% of actors are out of work, you know? So it's not like you just show up and they go, Oh my God, we love you. You know, it doesn't really happen that way, you know. Um, if you get into the business and you start working and you start doing things, the best education and the best advice I can give anybody is shut up, open your ears and open your eyes and learn as much as you humanly possibly can from everybody. From the lighting guys to the sound guys to the camera guy to the producer, the director, whatever the gig is. Yes, if it's a commercial, it's going to be a one or two day, and that's pretty much the end of that. Okay, fine. But if you get into anything with an extended time frame, be it off-Broadway, Broadway, a film, all you have to do, or TV series especially, all you have to do is show uh, a passion, a love for what's going on. And so, you know, if, if they go, okay, you know, all right, uh, uh, we're done for the day, whatever. If somebody goes, okay, we're going to have a, we're, we're going to have a, a production meeting. I don't care if you're 12 years old, don't matter. You say, you know what? I, 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 I like movies. I like television. I want to learn. They'll let you sit there. They will let you, you know, see what's going on. They'll let you listen and hear and you learn on the job, you know? I learned on the job. That's what I did. 
you know, and I had great teachers, you know, not everybody has the teachers that I had, you know, Gleason and Pryor and Richard Donner and Ray Stark were, you know, and Ned and, and Teresa Gans, they were great teachers. You know, I mean, mostly it was Richard, then it was Richard Donner and, and Gleason and then everybody else. But, you know, the, the more, the more inquisitive you are and the more mature you are is the more that they will be willing to give you the information. They could talk about, oh, the film school at USC. Well, yeah, if you want to, you know, you want to be Quentin Tarantino, you got to go to film school. You know, you've got to learn the differences in lenses and lighting and you got to learn all that. Um, if you just you just you want to produce, pay attention. You want to write, pay attention. Talk to the writer, talk to the screenplay person, talk to who's ever there. You know, script supervisor who keeps all the notes and everything. They'll give you a free education. You don't got to go to college for that. You know. Wow. And with everything that you've done from films tv and what, what is the most fondest experience that still like helps you and keeps you humble and like so i got the right guy at the right time richard fryer was my mentor from the day I met him until the day he he couldn't talk anymore. He was my mentor. So, you know, you say fond memories. It's like, I remember, you know, playing Mattel on television in his hotel room at 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning while we were shooting the toy. And then getting up at 5.45, showering real quick, 6.15, get picked up. You know, on, on two and a half, three hours sleep, whatever it was, night after night. Uh, going to see Poltergeist with him in the movie theaters. You know, Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, going to amusement parks, bumper cars, pinball, you know, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I was 14 during, you know, I turned 14 while we were shooting. So I'm pre puberty. So there really wasn't too much trouble he could get me into. <laughs> if I was post puberty, he would have gotten me into a lot of trouble. I am very sure of that. Um, <laughs> But it was the, the overall experience, but the time with him and the friendship that we made. And I mean, again, it's the world we live in is very strange and all those kinds of things. And you go, okay, so we got this little Jewish kid from Jersey and we've got a black guy who grew up in a whorehouse in Indiana or in Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. What in the hell could they have in common? What could, where is that middle ground to put the cement for a relationship. And it started out as because he loved, there was a, a Western film uh, star in the fifties named Lash LaRue. His nickname was the master of the bullwhip. And Richard loved Lash LaRue. And my dad had like 25 Lash LaRue movies on VHS. So dad made him copies, you know, and we would, we would watch one here, one there in the hotel room, whatever. But it was this common uh, uh, love for entertainment and older entertainment and different, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And comedians and comedy and all that. Um, so we found that that common denominator, that bond. And then everything just grew from there. 
you know, he was, you know, from my sex ed teacher. I mean, he, I could say that, you know, he did you know, everything. I can't wait. I'm trying to visual of Richard Pryor trying to give you a sex education. Listen, he would sit, so he would sit there. We, we would be out, especially in the back of the big house in Louisiana. We'd be sitting on our chairs or whatever, and girls and women would walk by. And he'd be like, what do you think of her? And, oh, she's very pretty, or, you know, whatever. And we make comments, you know, whatever. But he was pretty open about what he did and who he did it with. Half of which he's saying things to me that I have absolutely no idea what the hell he's saying. You know, like, okay, I'll, I'll give it to you this way. So your name is Kimberly Chapman, but you go by KC, right? Okay, fine. There's there's a two-word thing. If there's a B and a J, and then he would, you know, whatever. And so he would say, oh, you know, whatever. And I'd be like, that sounds great. I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> but this is what I got on a daily basis from Richard. You know, I mean, we had a blast. I bet. He was funny, too. And that the toy was one of the most. I, I watched it several times growing up, by the way. And, you know, when I was down or upset or something, I put in something funny. And of you course. guys wind up being the ones. <laughs> uh, listen, you know, so you're you're in the group that enjoys the little white kid buying the black man. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. now, that's my joke. Those are my jokes. I can tell these jokes without insulting anybody, without again, offending anybody. Uh, I... I did stand up years ago at the comedy store and I did it with Richard, you know, a couple times and uh, I'd gotten out of it and really didn't do it. And then I then people started asking me to do film festivals and you got to do a little bit of shenanigans, a little shtick, you know, whatever. And I kept, I was like, I got to do something. I got to, there's got to be an opener. It's somewhere. I got to find where my opener is. And I figured it out one day and I went, Oh my God, I got to ask somebody about this. And so I called Richard's daughter and told her what I was going to say. And uh, she's like, my father probably would have peed himself and fall, fell off the couch if you said that. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I come out and, and I'm going to explain to you exactly how it happened. It's like I can't even make this up because it was so ridiculous. It was insane. So I'm in Upper New Jersey, just a meeting at the New York State Line. And uh, they had the signs up in front, you know, presenting this award, presenting. So everybody knew, okay, fine. So I got up there, I said, hi, everybody, whatever. And I said, listen, let's just get the elephant out of the room. You know, just talk about it. You know, it's where we get it out of the way and there's no hard feelings, whatever, you know. Never. Show of hands. Anybody else in here bought a black man beside me? <laughs> well, you, you would have thought I set this up, and I'm not kidding you, Kim. To my right is all white people. To my left is all people of color. The white people got whiter. The black people were high-fiving each other, laughing their asses off because they understood the joke. So I did my time. Okay, fine. And then you wait to the end of the thing and you go outside and everybody's leaving and you say, you know, what a thanks, whatever. Not one white person came up to me. Not one. But every black person that was in that place came over and said, you are the funniest, yum, 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 whatever. And they want to take a picture and they want an autograph. And it, okay. But I can say those jokes. Those are my jokes. Nobody else can say them, you know. Wow. It, it, you know, it, it honestly sounds like that the those white people have some guilt going on and they don't, you know, it's like really. <laughs> Listen, I'm yes. I, I mean, I guess you would say I'm Caucasian. 
I'm also Jewish, full 100% mother, father, the whole thing. Okay. You know, and, and people, you know, in this climate, I have to feel guilty. Guilty about what? My Bubby, my great grandmother, didn't get here till 1897 on the boat. What am I feeling sorry for? Because people 100 years before that did something? Tell me what that's my family. My dad's family's from Michigan. You know, none of that stuff happened up there. Really? What am I feeling sorry for? You know, people said, oh, well, I said, listen, and honestly, if you gave me a choice when I plopped out of my mother's vagina, if they would have said, what do you want to be? I said, six foot four and black. I want to play in the NBA. Thank you. <laughs> that, that was me. You know, love my NBA basketball. Julia Serving, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. Oh, yeah, that's all me. I'm five foot two. I'm white. It's all over. I got to I got to get it. <laughs> oh my gosh, Scott! It was going so nowhere. Going nowhere. I had no choice. Now you can actually, if you wanted to have fun, hang on. You can go on YouTube. If you search Rocky R O C K Y like Rocky Balboa, Rocky, mm -hmm. Rocky Christmas Story. You will see me. It is February of 2014 in Denver. I hit a half-court hook shot in front of 16,000 people. Wait a minute. Rocky, I'm going to put this on, on the description. Rocky. Christmas story. Christmas. The video is like 25 seconds. Okay. Christmas story. Okay. I'll definitely put this on the description so mm. people can look at it too. But let me ask you one last question before we wrap it up. I'm good. Since, since this um, pandemic and everything has happened and a lot of the, you know, TV, film, everything, everybody's world came upside down. But what did you do to, like, transform or um, put a different perspective on, on your career during this time? I, I wouldn't say I put a different perspective on the career. That's not, again, like I said, I'm not a social media guy. You know, I mean, I did a, uh, 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 a thing called the Quarantine Bunch. It was me and Todd Bridges, Jeremy Miller, uh, Melissa Disney, uh, uh, my God, Tori Spelling's husband. Oh, my God. Dylan, and I can't think of his name. Uh, we did like this thing and we just did it from our houses and it kind of looked like the Brady Bunch with nine different screens, you know, but it was like, <laughs> oh, so you out Zoom? <laughs> no, but it was like, it was like a TV show. It was really funny. Um, I did that. I mean, I really didn't do anything to refocus. I just kind of, from a career standpoint, waited it out because, you know, eventually things are going to open up again. You know, nothing lasts forever because if it did, then the game is over. Right. You know, none of us have homes anymore because we're going to have mortgages that none of us can pay and nobody's going to pay it. What are you going to do? You know, the world changed. You know, that that's, you know, what happened. Um, some good. Some not so good. Um, you know, I uh, I haven't I, I sort of have an upbeat mentality. You know, what is it? The glass is half full. The glass is half empty. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh 
you know, my, my years have been very kind to me. I don't look my age. Some days I feel my age though. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, you know, I try and look at the best case situation for everything, you know, as opposed to, oh my God, the world is falling. You know, don't, you know, people panicking, you know, can we buy more toilet paper? Really? <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. It, um, it, it should have given everybody a perspective on what means something. You know, your family, your friends, the people you care for, you know. Uh, and then, of course, things that you have interest in or have, have vested interest in, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, I have friends in the military, you know. So, I mean, I support the military. I support police. And then I got people down the street telling me I'm crazy. You know, how can you support the police? They're killing these people. And I'm going, oh, my God, stop, please, please. Right. You know. You know, we, we, we have people with the systemic racism. And I'm going, hang on a minute. There's 800,000 police. Let's say 200,000 of them are bad. That's 200,000 police who have guns. How many people would be getting shot every single day if we were a systemically racist society? How many? A thousand? Five thousand? How many? When it's one here this week and one three weeks from now and then you kind of find out the underlying everything and what went on and you go really are you serious yeah i shouldn't support the police because somebody a thousand miles away did something really i i can't buy that you know i know too many good people who put their life on the line every day every day they walk out of their house they kiss their wives and they pray to god that they make it home mm-hmm you know, I I, well, I, I agree with the you homeless, on that. The, the 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 veterans. You know, we got all the veterans. They got P PTSD and they've got mental issues and whatever, and they're homeless. And then the people they don't really they don't really help them. Yeah, okay. They they give them the soup kitchen. Congratulations, great job. You know, but then we have people that come here from other countries and they give them free health care and they give them rent and they fly them. Oh, we're gonna find somebody in your family from whenever and. We got to help the ones we got to help first. You got to take care of your own house before you take care of somebody else's. You know. You make a valid point, and I I'm in agreement with you. And it's you know I even say like honestly, it's I go back in time in history because I love history, and I'm finding out more things that I I was like, what? You know, how come I didn't? You know, this wasn't taught to me in school. Well, they can only teach you so much because they only have so much time. Well, yes, but then there's other things that, you know, they only teach 50% of the truth of certain events, and they just want you to know what they want you to know to aspect. <clears throat> but mm -hmm. then I'm looking back going, holy shit. It's like history keeps re repeating itself with different time periods. It's like in my, I guess my mind's eye, third eye or not, um, I'm looking at it as a movie screen of how everything is, has changed, but it's like the Groundhog Day, just different year, different era, different decade, different century. It, listen, you know, I mean, we, we have a thing going on right now with the global warming. Mm -hmm. Kids, getting kids motivated to become activists. Okay. 
I sat there and I watched this and I said, I've seen this before. <laughs> I know I've seen this before. And I and I and I, and I started looking and I'm going youth, young, this, this. oh, 1930s Germany, Hitler Youth. But why did they do it? See, but you have to go beyond the just the title of it. Why? Because if you get the young the youth, the youth are going to their parents. And the last thing parents really want to do is have to put up with bullshit from their kids. They'd rather just agree with them. Okay. That's what happened in the 30s. Now we go to here and it's the same thing. Parents don't have time. Mom works wherever she works, eight o'clock in the morning, five o'clock at night. She's got to make dinner. Dad gets home at six. Okay, fine. Did a, you think they want to hear their kids badgering them about what, what is this? What are you talking about? Great. Whatever it is, I'll back you. I don't care. They don't even want to hear it. Not understanding the relevance of it and what's going on. You know, that's just one example. History repeats itself all the time. The, the, the playbooks that, that both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party push and, and politically, it's been done before many, many times. But if you're not educated, you don't know it's happened many, many, many times. You know, when, 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 you know, in 16, when Trump got elected and all that and racial things and all that. And I actually asked people, I went out, you know, just, you know, if I'm at a restaurant or whatever, I said, by the way, I got a question. What party was Abraham Lincoln? I'd ask people that question. And you know, out of like the 40 people I asked, 32 of them said, oh, uh, he was a Democrat. Republicans, they, they wanted slavery. <coughs> oh, you know what? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> honestly, now you can correct me if I'm wrong. Back in Abraham's time, I don't think it was Republican or Democrat. It was the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Well, yeah, it? but they kind of they called them later on. They kind of said these were the Republicans and these are the Democrats. So, you know, if you look it up, I think it actually says that... Uh, yeah, Lincoln's a, a Republican. That's what it says now. But I mean, I'm like, huh? You know? Do you know what do you know what the Civil War was all about? And people will say, well, yeah, the Democrats wanted to free free the slaves. <laughs> and I'm going. I want to call your teacher. Want to slap them and say, what did you teach this poor child? What have you done? <clears throat> you know. What country do what what are we what are we doing? Why are we giving children mixed messages? The, the thing with the the CRT CTR uh, critical race theory the, the C, CRT. Tell me what this is. So I mean I'm looking and I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm and I'm going. So you're going to teach a five six seven eight year old about race? No, let them sit in the class with their buddies, like I did. Mm -hmm. That's how you form friendships. That's just how that goes. You form bonds and friendships with people of all races, creed, and colors in the uh, the public school system. You know, I, I never said, oh, he's black. I don't like him. No, that never happened. You know, this guy was my friend. That guy was my friend. There was a kid that played in the NBA for nine and a half years, I think, 10 years, nine and a half years. I went to middle school and high school with him, and he'll tell you. If I wasn't sitting next to him, he never would have graduated because he cheated off me all the time. He was drafted first. He was drafted first round in the NBA. Okay, he was my friend. Did I care that he was his skin was black and mine was white? No, I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. He was my homie. He's my boy. 
I was just in Jersey six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago. Drive to his house. He's like, what's up, brother? How you doing? No phone call. No email to say I'm coming. I just showed up at his doorstep. Open arms. Come in, sit down, have a bottle of water. Let's let's catch up, shoot the shit. Absolutely. But that's you know, how it should be. Yes, and I agree with you. But I think it's like the it's taught. It's been taught of separation and division. And this, it, it's just, now it's gotten ridiculous to be it's, honest, Scott. It's like, it's, really? It's You're not, living in the past. Wake the fuck up. It's not even the past. It's not the country we live in. We don't live in a country of division. We live in a country of people. And all people have to do are be kind to one another and communicate with one another. That's it. That's all you've got to do. And we learn those skills as children to grow into teenagers and have those friends and college and have those friends. Now, by, by putting something in the middle of it, saying, oh, you have to know the differences. No, we don't. No, because they're causing the division. They're causing the problem. And, and they don't. Nobody ever says that. I, I want I want to just go to a classroom, take a video camera, go to a classroom of th third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, and say, who's friends with who here? Okay, so Bobby, you're friends with Jamal. Okay, Jamal is black and you're white. Does that matter? No, he's my friend. Thank you. That's one time. That's all I got to hear because it would be the same all over the country. This, this division thing is ridiculous. It truly, truly is. People are people. And you don't have a choice of who your neighbors are. I have a black family that lives next to me right there. I have an Indian family that lives across the street there. I have a black family that lives right behind me. They're all friends of mine. His kids are friends of mine. The guy in the back, you see the bushes and the trees behind me there? He'll come up every so often on the ladder. Hey, I'm going to cut the thing. Go for it, man. Have a great time. How are the kids doing? He's got, he's got a pool back there. And they're always playing 70s disco. And I love the music. So, I mean, it's great back there. But this is a community. This is how people are supposed to treat each other. You know, unfortunately, we have parts of society that aren't as well educated, well as well understanding. They're they have issues, be it financial or mental or whatever it is. And that's the things that we have to try and fix. Not <clears throat> who hates who and who like because black, white. Asian, Indian, no. Well, where I was going with the, home of the brave. Well, in history, as in the limited beliefs, the mental programming that keeps replaying it. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 getting ridiculous, but I, I so agree with, with a lot that I, you're saying. And thank you for sharing it. Thank no, you for sharing I mean, listen, it. I mean, listen, you know, again, I mean, I'm the age that I am and I and I try and tell people. You know, uh, I'm I'm not a, a big Republican and I'm not a big liberal Democrat. I've always been up the middle. Tell me as as our political system goes, what you want to do for our country, good, you know, whatever your thing is. Okay, fine. And I base my decision of who I, I want to back that way. And because there are certain people I didn't back, I mean, I was called a racist. I was called a hate monger. I'm called a slave lover. I mean, and I'm going... If that's what your people think, boy, are you way off. 
Wow. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm I mean, right there with you. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm in the middle too, and I'll go through who, um, based on what I value and what I'm for. But you live over there. I live over here. You know, now my city where I live is more red than blue. The Ronald Reagan Library is nine minutes from my house. Oh. Okay. But anywhere else, I'm in liberal democratic city. I mean, that's where I am. And those, they don't want to hear anything. And you look at them and you go, how? Tell me what any, if you tell me something logical and sensible, I'm right there with you. I will go with you any day of the week. Give me that answer. And they can't. And I go, so, so what you're telling me is you'll believe something and follow something just because somebody else is doing it. And it keeps you in the group and it keeps you with the gang as opposed to what you really think is right and sensible and logical. You won't go that way because it's against the grain of the other friends you have. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, um, gang, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we sit down and go, wait a minute. Is this logical? Is this sensible? Why are we thinking this way? Why are we not thinking that way? Or why are we not thinking what, you know, whatever it is. And you sit and you talk to people. Instead, you get obscenities thrown at you. You get curse words thrown at you. You get the finger thrown at you. You get all that and they walk away. And I'm like, well, congratulations. You just proved my point. You have no idea whatsoever of what the hell you support. You know, what you're telling me you believe in makes no sense at all. None. But this is, you know, I'm in California. It's a democratic state. Okay, fine. They get democratic mayors, democratic senators, democratic governor. Every time, you know, I asked how many years. The taxes go up, the taxes go up, the taxes go up, the taxes go up. They all complain about the taxes, but what do they do? Nothing. They vote democratic, 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 democratic. <laughs> what are you doing? You just told me you don't want to pay more gas tax. You just told me you don't want to pay any more property tax. You just told me you don't want to pay more tax on your Department of Motor Vehicle, on your car registration. But you do understand, every time you vote for the same people, your taxes are going to keep going up. This is what's happened. You know, I... I my fun one is New York City. I was uh -oh. a 70s kid, so I remember Ed Koch. Okay. Ed Koch, okay, fine. Then they brought in um, oh, God, David Dinkins, who was a Democratic black mayor in New York. Okay, fine, first black mayor. Okay, fine, I got no problem with that. But the city went to crap. New York City went to, to shit. Then Rudy Giuliani showed up. Cleans up the city. Great. Okay, fine. Then they bring in de Blasio, Democrat again, Republican and Giuliani and Democratic. And he dumped it. And the city's a dump again. And I'm going, how many times does it take to pick up the bottle, drop it, and it crashes for you to keep picking up that same glass bottle and dropping it? How many times? Now, again, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just You just look at what has happened. Didn't make it up. You know, just you just look at it. And I'm not telling you, you got you must vote Republican or you must vote them. No, just look at the situation, which has been beneficial, which has not been beneficial. How many times does it take for you to learn your lesson? Right. You know, people of New Jersey, they, we, they had Christie and the thing with the bridge, which was all nonsense and bullshit, whatever, yeah, but didn't raise taxes. You know, now there were some people that, that some of the, um, the uh, retirement accounts and all that kind of stuff. And there were things about that. He wasn't putting enough money away or whatever. Okay, fine. 
So they put in the guy that's in there now. And they hate him. I said, okay, so what, what was what was worse? The, the the people with the retirement accounts that they still got paid, they just didn't get enough or whatever it was, but he didn't raise taxes. The first thing that the guy did that came in now raised raised the taxes of the state. You know, I mean I got I got friends that I know in North Jersey and their property tax is more than my mortgage. Oh they live in they live in Bergen County. They live in Bergen County, they're the expensive county, but they're not necessarily the ones that have multi, multi, multi millions. They've lived there for a long time, whatever. And one of my friends, I mean, he lives in, the, I mean, he's got a, he's got a big house. You know, he's probably got a 4,500 square foot house. He's got a big house. He's paying $32,000 a year in tax, $32,000 a year in property tax. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Keep voting for those guys. Congratulations. Good job. Don't bitch. Don't bitch. <laughs> You know, and people like are going to realize that we have the power. It is our vote, and you got to look in at the values in the in in their I, if you want to say morals or their characteristics. And then mine is their credentials. It's like you got to switch your mindset. We're the boss. They're the employees. They work for us. Mm-hmm. So show me your credentials. Show me what your your references and even what you've accomplished. While being in office. Okay. But the ones that are trying to get into office, most of them are pretty responsible. Most of them are lawyers, of course. Some are hedge fund guys. You had guys from, you know, Merrill Lynch and guys from uh, um, the other big one in New York. And I, it's not coming into my head right now. Charles uh, Stanley? Not Charles thank Stanley. Thank you. Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, um, Shearson Lehman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. What's the one that Governor Murphy of New Jersey came from? It's like the big hedge fund. I can't think of it. Um, Merrill Lynch? No. No, I can't think of it, but I can't think of the name of it, but um, they have credentials, but tell me what your policies are. Mm -hmm. What do you want the state to do? Where do you want the state to go? What's your jobs plan? You know, what are your infrastructure? If you have any, you know, you know, me, I mean, in today's uh, uh, society and climate, I'm the first question or second question. Well, the first question is always you're going to raise taxes. The second question is, okay, so there's two people standing in front of you. One's a veteran who's down, down on his luck. He's got a PTSD, whatever it is. He's struggling to get along. He's basically homeless, whatever. Are you going to take him and you're going to put him in a facility or a home or something that is safe for him? Or are you going to grab somebody who just came over from the south of the border and he ran through the trees and the river? You're going to give that guy free health care and free food and help him with living expenses. Which guy are you going to help first? That's my question. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and they'll say, well, you know, we've got to kind of figure out. No, there's nothing to figure out. What do you want to help first? The guy who put his foot on foreign soil for this country to protect this country or somebody who is not here legally? That's an easy question. There should be no in the middle there. No, we are not the papa of the world. We are the papa of our country. The people that fight for our country are most important to take care of, period. <coughs> there should be no argument. And I agree have, with you. Yet we have people who would take somebody from someplace else. And I'm like, if, if, if that's the person you wish to help, I think you should go to their country and go help them. 
because it's not our job to be the papa of the world. You know, if you said, okay, tomorrow, we have no border, come on in. We got 30 to 50 million people in our country in two and a half hours. Wow. Because they come from everywhere as fast as they could get here because they understand. You know, while the United States is not a perfect place, it is certainly a better than a whole hell of a lot of other places that we see and we hear about. Yes. You know, you know that's just that's just, it's where we are as a country and as a world. I'm sorry to take up all this because we were talking entertainment and all that shit, and I just got off. On well, you know, no, I love it. Are you kidding me? You like took it to a home, and I I enjoy it honestly. I don't, don't want to say anything, I don't want to say anything to offend anybody because I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just trying. No, to but you know what? So someone needs to stand up and, and look at it in in a different perspective, and I believe that. Like what you just shared, I'm in agreement, and I'm glad I get to have this conversation. If no one likes it, oh well. You know what? They could go, you don't like it? You don't have to watch my show. But I'm going to look at things in a different perspective. And that there's value in that. Yes, our veterans get the shitty ass into the deal. And you know what? They're trained to kill and murder. If you're not in the army, you're not in the military forces over the history and seeing what those men and some of the women have seen mm -hmm. and experienced themselves, they just deserve a lot more than what they're getting. People who live here are very spoiled. They don't understand or could comprehend what people in other places go through. My ex-in-laws lived in Israel. Okay. And we got into this chit-chat about something, and they said, you have to try and understand this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every single day, every single minute, at any moment, the horns can go off. And we have to find a shelter immediately, anytime. Doesn't matter. You could be at the grocery store. You could be in bed. You could be in your car. The, the radio, they say the radio will come on and it'll be emergency. And but we don't have that here. People don't understand that feeling that fear. a fear of that, you know, if the tsunami's coming and they see four hours ahead, the tsunami's coming, you have a four hour window. Okay, you got to do something. You got to get the hell out of here. Get as far east as you can. Okay, fine. But when the horn goes off and it's a five-minute warning, you got five minutes. What are you going to grab? What are you going to take? What are you going to do? What's important? Okay, I got a 12-year-old. Okay, 12-year-old can run after me. Can't leave the dog behind. No way. Can't forget it. Can't leave the dog behind. Now you got to grab the dog. Clock's ticking. Now you're down to three and a half minutes. You got to go find someplace. You got to get into a bomb shelter. You got to get under the ground. You got to do something. People here don't understand that. Ha, 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 ha. You know, we had the, when they had the shooting out in, in um, San Bernardino. Okay. You know, that the guy that shot up the employees at that office building and whatever. Okay. I got friends of mine in New Jersey going, oh, this and oh, that. And I'm going, oh, this, oh, that. I'm, are you crazy? I'm like, that's 60 miles from my house. I said, what happens if something happens and I told them the place, you know, the shopping center everybody goes to. What happens if something happened there and all of a sudden somebody started shooting or whatever it would be? What are you going to say? You're going you're gonna to take – whose side are you going to take here? The innocent people who are dead or the, the two people who were just a little, you know, lost in the head? Whose side are you going to take? Whose side do you want to be on? You know, and I had a couple of arguments with kids I went to school with about it. 
Oh, like, wow. I'm like, we went to school together. You should understand what's important. You know, the, we have PAC, uh, we have Acme, Pathmark, uh, ShopRite, Backy. So ShopRite's still open, whatever. It's a grocery store. I said, what are you going, what if you're in a grocery store with your kid? And all of a sudden, somebody walks in, starts yelling, Allah Akbar, and all that kind of stuff, and starts shooting. What are you going to do? Try and talk him down? You think you're going to talk to him? You're going to over, you're going to open up your mouth, you're going to have a bullet in your face, and that's the end of it. You know, what do, what do you think this is? This isn't a game. This isn't fun. You know, and and with the divide that is being pushed upon everybody, there's, there, there's something's going to happen somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have, you know, Antifa people or you're going to have the, the unruly group. And they're going to run into a bunch of 30, 40, 50, 100 veterans. Somebody's going to lose that fight. Somebody's going to lose that fight bad. And then it's going to just blow up from there. Because it'll be this against this, as opposed to we're all Americans. And why are we really going at each other? Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking that same freaking question. I was like, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. More people, you know, like over here where I'm at. Um, there was a shooting with an open concert drive-by, you know, and it's like, really, we're just starting to open up people. Why, why can't we just get along? You because know? there's, there's, there's psychos out there. Okay. Now, again, you can have the argument, guns kill people, people kill people. You can have the argument all you want. If there's a gun sitting on a, on a table, the gun doesn't shoot itself. It takes a human to do it. So yeah. it's a human being. It's a human being. So to blame everything on guns is wrong. Yes, it's I agree with you. It's the person that's behind the gun. And so there needs to be more regulations, more certifications. I had somebody on my show, Scott, that was a former police officer in Iceland. And he traveled around the world and became um, a a general something association with the police uh, LAPD. And he came over here and he was in shock. He goes, we don't have this kind of issue over in our country. Why, <laughs> you know, what is the because problem? The, because the government <laughs> formed their country that way. Our government formed our country a certain way. First amendment is a freedom of speech. Second amendment is a right to bear arms. It was so bloody important that it's number two. That's how important it was. Okay. Okay, but Scott, on the Second Amendment, it was written in 1776, re-ratified in 1786 or 87. Somewhere in there. Yes. And when you have to look at, it was like the, the British and, and them coming in, when they came to our country to war and everything, they were taking over other people's residence. Mm-hmm. They were doing reaping the wives and just taking mm -hmm. the food and all of that. So the Second Amendment had a reflection on what was going on, the right to bear arms against the British Army. Uh, Not the, you know, I can carry an AR-15, you know, kind of thing. What is the problem with that? I'm with you on this point. This is where it's like people, you know, oh, you believe in guns. and Wait a minute, wait a minute, you know. I believe that up to a certain point, okay, fine, you want to own a rifle, you want all this. Remember, it's written, the Second Amendment is written, and they had a six-shooter, and they had a double-barrel shotgun. 
that's what people had. They didn't have things that could shoot 40, 50, 60, you know, however many you had in, in the, uh, in the thing there, you know, I'm not a gun owner. So I couldn't, you know, I can't even. Nine rounds. Okay. I have a block. Okay. 10, 12, fine, whatever. Nobody realistically needs to have an AK-47. Realistic. Nobody. Nobody's having AR-15. Or, you know, pop, 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 pop. You just keep moving your finger and bullets keep coming out. Do we really need to have something that shoots 40 bullets, 50 bullets, 100 bullets? No, not really. We really don't, okay? But they never updated the laws as time went by. So what they did is they let the cat out of the bag. They let him run around for 75 years, 100 years, and now you're going to think you're going to try and get the cat back in the bag? Forget it. It's not going to happen. So we, we have to do it in a way that you have to look at it. Now, you said gun legislation. Well, that works, but it doesn't work because we live in a big country. And if there's legislation in Illinois, but there's no legislation in Wisconsin, people just get a gun in Wisconsin. They drive into Illinois. There you go. So that's really out the window. What it comes down to really is you have to look at the places where the gun violence is most is the heaviest. It's D.C., Chicago, Baltimore. Little, little bit in L.A., but not really as bad as it used to be. You know, they kind of handle things differently. It's called the Pacific Ocean. Oh, um, listen, feed the fish, whatever. Uh, so, you know, the places where you have heavy duty gun violence. You got to you got to put it under a military lockdown. And you got to say it's a state of emergency and we're going door to door and we're going to have uh, metal detectors and we're going to find guns and we're taking them against civil liberties with, with civil liberties. If it becomes a martial law lockdown and it's a, and it's an emergency to the city, a lot of those things go away. It's the only way to do it. You've got to get the guns out of the people's hands who just seem to be committing crimes a lot. And those are in your bigger cities. You know, in, in those in those few cities, if you take that away, even New York, to some degree, you take that away and you look how much less gun violence all of a sudden there is, you know, and, and defunding the police. What do you think is going to happen? It's anarchy. The mm -hmm. people run over, you know, I mean, I don't know what how you have it in Florida, out here in California. You can rob any store you want right now. You can walk in, you can shoplift up to a thousand dollars worth of merchandise, and they will not arrest you. I've seen bits and clips of news reports on that. That is like insane. I had they had one right here. It was the first time ever somebody walked into our Walgreens and they took a bag and they walked around, they shoved stuff in stuff in their bag, and they walked out. And the guy said, excuse me, sir, you haven't paid me. And I'm not going to. And he walked out. They called the police. What's, to police. what's with these people's mind that they this is an entitlement? I'm entitled to just walk in the store and not have to pay anything. Don't they realize the ramifications? They don't of, care. Wow. They have, no care. they have no care. And you have people on television saying, well, you know, they are entitled because their great, 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 great grandpa was enslaved and therefore it's a payment. What are we talking about? That happened way hundred over a hundred years ago. That's then. This is now. Try hundred and sixty years ago. No, two hundred and sixty years ago. What are we saying? 
Oh shit! Yeah, you're right. Seventeen seventeen sixty five. Yeah. You know. Okay. So it's, it's, what are you, what are you saying? You're saying people who didn't know the people from 260 years ago are now responsible to give the people that weren't alive 260 years ago, free this, free that money, whatever they want, just because we don't live in that country anymore. We've come a long way since 1950. You know, I mean, they say every year. There's more minorities who are millionaires. There's minorities that are billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm going to use the word that that situation of millionaires, billionaires, more opportunity. That doesn't sound like slavery to me. No. What it sounds like is there's a lot of lazy fucking people. Excuse my French. There's just a lot of lazy people. Don't be real. Who wanted, be authentic. Who, who wanted it? Who wanted handed to them? We deserve. Deserve what? You know, you know, we, we, we should have because. Because what? Because something happened to something body 100 and 200 and 300 years ago? Uh, you know, you make your own. You make your own plans. You make your own education. You make your own future. You work hard. You'll be fine. You're lazy. You know, and, I, you know, people are drug dealers and prostitution and you know, listen, that that's what you want to do. Okay. But there's ramifications for that. You know, we, you know, you just, if you live as a good citizen and a good person and you do the right things and I'm not saying keep your head down, you want to put your head up, put your head up, but work toward a goal, work toward making a better life for you and your heirs. Don't look back. Don't look back and go, Oh, look what happened to great, 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 great grandpa. You can't do that. <laughs> Just learn from great, 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 Paul that he fucked up somewhere or he did something really good and that's it. Yeah, but that's, listen, it's on either side. I mean, like I said, my ancestors were not anywhere near what, you know, where slavery was or any of that kind of stuff. But there was some. Okay, fine. But so what do you want? What do you want people to do 200 years later? What? <laughs> Get over it. It's listen, if you want to understand it and and have an education about it, okay. When you say get over it, I semi agree with you, but it's getting over it to the fact that it can't affect your daily life. You yeah. have to live. You know, what are you doing? You know, first of all, tell me how many people know great great grandpa. I knew my I knew my grandfather. I didn't know either great-grandfather. Okay. They're a picture in a book my parents have. Okay. That's who they were. Okay. Yeah. Then that's it. That's it. You know, that's what 98% of the people have. You know, very few times do people know their great-great-grandparents that well. Right. I knew knew, my my great-great-grandmother. My grandfather's mother I knew. She lived until 89. I'm born. I was, I was 21, just, just about 21 when she passed. Okay. So I got to know her, you know, and it was great. Her telling me about, you know, the Wright brothers, you know, and coming up, uh, coming over on the boat from Poland, Russia to Ellis Island and hearing about the laundries that they had. That's how they made their money. She was seven, eight years old working in a laundry you know, folding clothes, 
you know, in the Jewish neighborhoods in, in Brooklyn. You know, I don't think they would have been slave owners. They didn't have a nickel to rub together between five of them. You know, they're making, you know, a dollar a day or 50 cents a day or whatever it was that they needed that money. They Their parents needed that money to feed them and, and clothe them. We don't live in that society anymore. So where are we amiss? Where is this disconnect that people don't understand? You know, you go to school and then you start working as an adult. And you do that pretty much for the rest of your life or until if you have Social Security or retirement or whatever. It's pretty much the norm. That's what people do. Now, in the middle yeah. of that, they have kids, they have grandkids. Okay, fine, whatever the case may be. But they work to have a better life for themselves, their children. That's what every parent is, has ever said that I've ever heard is I've worked so hard for all these years so my kids could have it better. I never remember anybody going, yep, I hit 17 and I was out protesting by the federal building and we wanted free money from, uh, you know, re repayments from the eight to 1740s from my great, 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 great grandpa. And they gave me X amount of dollars so I could have a better life. I never heard that speech. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just old and set in my ways and just go, really? I believe you got to work hard, make a living, be a good, sir, be a good person, be a good citizen. Well, not work hard, but also to start working smart, <clears throat> you know, get your money working for you instead of you working for it. That's my new philosophy. But you've got to, but that's you and you're in a different category. You're not 20, you're not 25. There's a lot of people who yeah. they, they lack education. So they end up in the janitorial field, you know. My father was a window cleaner floor waxer. That's the janitorial field. And people tell me, oh, you came from upper middle class. I'm going, my father washed windows and waxed floors, dude. My mother managed a 7-Eleven. That's upper middle class? Really? Really? No. Yeah. No. It's not where I came from. You know, I remember living in crappy apartments as a youngster, you know, and I was seven before show business when my father and mother had saved enough money to buy a house. You know, I, I you know, I, I didn't have a silver spoon any which way. They worked hard. I worked hard. You know, and that's how it's supposed to be. Nobody said life is easy. No. Nothing, nothing in life is free. I don't care what they tell you. Oh, no, no. It's a, yeah, okay. And your taxes go up one half of 1%. It wasn't free, man. No. <laughs> You're going to pay for it somehow. <laughs> they, they've been talking about the free college. Well, I tried to explain to somebody. First of all, you're not going to Yale and Harvard for free. No, it doesn't happen that way. You're going to community college for free. And for that, your state taxes are going to go up two and a half, three percent every year. And and the youngster will look at me and go, oh, well, that's not so bad. I said, hold on there, youngster. It's not only your two and a half percent. It's your mom's two and a half percent and your dad's two and a half percent and your brother that couldn't open up a, a coffee cup. They'll never go to college. He's paying two and a half percent. So at the end of the day, it's 10% a year in taxes for you to go to free college. 
So when your college is up after, you know, two year, four year, whatever you can do. Okay, fine. That's great. It's going to cost you about a hundred thousand a year because you've got to base it out of your entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. I said, they don't, they don't just tax you until you're 22. You know that, right? You know, once they take taxes, they don't give them back. So it's two and a half percent for you and the three other members of your family for the rest of your lives. Congratulations on that free school, man. Good job. <laughs> Great. It's all free. I I love this conversation. Thank you so much, Scott, for being no, you're here welcome. today. You are, you're you are much more fun and entertaining than the last podcast I did. So thank you. Ah, thank you. I oh, I got on. I, I literally I got on the other one, and two minutes in, I'm thinking, "Holy shit, how long is this, man? Oh my god, not this time. <laughs> I'm good." Yeah, we went on for an hour and twenty eight minutes. Yeah, it's three o'clock. I, I love the flow, and I'll just keep it going until because this is at my podcast, so I can. There's no commercial breaks. If I like the conversation, I want to keep it going. But an hour and a half, I'm like, wow. But, you know, I enjoyed it. And I would We're love good. to have you again on the show. We'll talk Absolutely. about politics, history. Let's talk about history. I love history. I got no problem with that. Awesome. Well, I can talk about anything. You know, you, the, the only way to understand what life is to is to be educated people yeah. who are not educated do not understand life they may think oh i know no you don't because if you don't know what went on before with society in the world you can't question today because you have nothing to look back and go well i did it this way then you don't know that you know that's why the youth i don't have a clue because all they hear is free, 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 free. And I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> all right, young lady, I am going to go and uh, get something to drink and uh, relax nice. for a little bit. And it was a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure as well. Thank you again, Scott, for joining us. You got it, Kim. Have a great rest of the day and evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, my gosh. That was like... I loved this interview with Scott and I hope you did too. And you know what? You gotta keep tuning in on wake up with KC with me, Kimberly, cause you never know who I'm going to have on my show and what we're going to talk about. Do you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? I've been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. <laughs>